Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Well, look who's back from Alaska. It's none other than Yukon Cornelius, and he's joined by his little buddy, Hermie. In this episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, these two misfits review Terra Mystica, talk about Marty's adventure at the Cool Mini or Not Expo, and bring us another edition of Flying Squirrels. What do you think, guys? I got an idea. Listen. Mm -hmm. Yes, and then, yes. Not bad. It might work. That Vanessa, she gets wittier every time she introduces one of our show. But guys, thanks for coming back and listening to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 70, North to Alaska, and I'm Tony. And this is Marty, and welcome back, Tony. I missed you, man. Hey, I missed you too, ma'am. But uh, you know, Alaska, you need to go there. I would like to go there sometime. I mean, it looks like I saw some of the pictures that you had. It looks like some some great nature pics and whatnot. I've heard it's a beautiful country. It's incredible country, but unless you like jewelry shops and hiking, there's not a whole lot to do up there. But that's okay. I mean, you know, hey, well, each his own. But speaking of pictures, you had some incredible pictures from. Uh, Cool Mini or Not Expo. Was that Eric Lang I saw you with? That was the man himself, Eric Lang. We'll get into that a little bit later on about my escapades at uh, Cool Mini or Not and talk about some of the games that I played there. How do you like this weather coming back from Alaska? It's going from 50 degrees to 100 degrees here in Charlotte. That's just unreal. And because of that, I think I caught the summer cold. And so I'm going to be a little congested tonight, guys. So I hope you can deal with that because guess what? We got a show to produce and you're not going to wait for me to get all cleared up. That's for sure. I, actually, they may. They may. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if anybody's sitting out there waiting to hear this. That's true. They may not. But I, <laughs> hey, I do, I do want to thank Rodney for sitting in for me. That was awesome. He did, he did a fantastic job. However, he is a little self-conscious about the fact that whenever he comes on, you're not here. He thinks you're trying to diss him. I would love to be here when he comes on. He just needs to give us, you know, when as a guest, come on instead of being a guest host. Maybe it's that fact he has to be a host. Yeah, well, we'll have him on sometime so that uh, we can treat him like a regular guest. But uh, yeah, he kept your, your chair warm for you. And, and Rodney, thanks so much for, for sitting in. That was a lot of fun. And you know what? He was my roommate at Cool Mini or Not, too. Okay, that's that's all the information we need there, man. What? I'm just saying we, we split a room at, at the show. And you know, that's very economical. I mean, to try to find a roommate uh, going to these small conventions i bet could be a challenge so that worked out well for you worked out uh, very well had a great time so we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit also as vanessa teased we're going to be looking at an older game from uh, like in 2012 terra mystica mm-hmm. you know it's not all about the cult of the new here because well okay it's cult. the reason why we're doing this is because it's actually cult of the new for tony because he's never played yes and it was a great game because well we won't spoil it here oh but real quick marty you could have saved even more at Cool Mini or not, if Stephen Avery had put you up in his house. <laughs> That's true. Actually, <laughs> he put up Mark Zelensky and uh, his son at his house. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, so he was already hosting somebody there. So he was he was driving them in um, every night. So that was, that was fun to see those guys again. Steve is always a trip. Well, I tell you what, I'm out of practice. So let's see if I can still do some flying squirrels. Ronnie hung in there. He uh he was he was kind of nervous going into this, saying I'm not sure how this is going to go, but he did a good job. It's just it's just like riding a bike, man. You'll get in there and, and you'll you'll squirrel it up, no problem. 
And now it's time for Flying Squirrels, short discussions on topics that have our attention for now. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. So welcome to our segment of Flying Squirrels, and if this is your first time listening to the show, this is kind of like an homage to those moments in our shows in the past where we kind of go off on a tangent, and we call them squirrel moments. And so what we've done is we said, you know what, since we have so many of those, why don't we plan those out a little bit better? And so we have a segment here to where each of us are going to cover a topic in two minutes. And after we're done with the, or after two minutes has expired, you're going to hear this sound which means we need to wrap up and move on to the next topic. And Tony, we're going all over the place today. I'm sitting here looking at the list. Uh, whew. This, is, this is definitely a squirrel, some squirrel moments yep, here. And I'm ready to go. Let's do this. All right, here we go. If you haven't come out to our guild on Board Game Geek, you need to because we have some really great discussions out there. It's so great to see so much interaction with the community. And there's a lot of people out there that, that come up with these great ideas and topics. And, and one of them was a poll. Uh, that we had just posted and the poll was pretty much would you rather play a game with meeples or play with unpainted minis now i thought for sure tony that okay this is going to be easy it's going to be unpainted minis but right now at this point meeples is winning and i'm one that checked the meeples because you know i'm beginning to think and that these minis just add to the cost of the game Give me a good old-fashioned wood meeple or something that represents the symbol. I mean, it's easier to pack away, easier to, you know, boxes are smaller, not these huge hawking boxes. I mean, I got, you know, Dritz down here that I played, and I'm like, man, this box is huge. So, it'd be, I mean, maybe it'd lose some of its neatness with not having those unpainted minis in it. But I'm like, really, did we really need the minis in here, but you, I bet you chose the other one then. Well, I did because for me, it's like the miniatures kind of bring me into the game. But then as people were talking and I tend to agree, I think it depends on the style of the game. If you're playing a Euro style game where the theme isn't really heavy, you probably don't need the miniatures. And typically there's so many bits and pieces that miniatures probably just don't really work. But then compare that with something like, uh, Forbidden Stars, which just came out, where you had these epic space battles. See, I'd rather see the ships battling each other than little wooden cubes or meeples. Well, I can understand that, but I still think that it's, you know, when you look at it from a standpoint of the wood versus the minis, I'm, I'm just going, I like those. I don't know why, Marty. I just do. I like it, and that's that. So you prefer wood over the plastics? Oh. Wood over the plastic, and because when I look at those plastic, I'm always thinking, should I paint those? But that also brings up another segment about just how cheap I am. There is stuff out there that on Kickstarter that I look at these games and I'm thinking, you want me to invest how much in a board game? How much can I, I mean, $150 for this game? And I know it's the minis and I know you're making a boatload killing here, but my God. Gosh, $150 for a board game. Marty, I just I just can't pull the trigger on that. I, I just can't do it. Are, are you referring to a particular board I game? I might be, but I'm not going to say which one, but I might be. <laughs> well, you can say it. Well, it's let's okay. just say this. If you go out and search for a board game that's recently making $2 million on Kickstarter and you're charging $150 for it and you have a and Marty just went to your con, then yeah. I just, uh, that just blows my mind. How much I would feel like if I spent that kind of money out there, Marty, I would have to bring it to the table 
every time I saw somebody. Well, here's the thing. It's obviously not deterring anybody from purchasing it because how much is it? Two million? Exactly. Two million, but it's 150. And that's what I'm saying. I'm just cheap. And I know that. So it's kind of hard for me to... So why don't you go buy it? You are. You're buying the other one that, that came out. Uh, I did. I did. Well, it's a little bit cheaper version, but I did uh, back Blood Rage, uh, which is one, another one of those games, and they have really nice miniatures. But luckily, the gameplay is one of those where, and we'll talk about it later, that I think that I will get this one to the table a lot. But no, I totally get that. And I guess that's another one of the things referring to the other segment. Uh, miniatures are going to cost a lot more than meeples or wooden pieces, and so Obviously, those types of games are going to be cheaper. Yeah, I, I know they are, but man, it just it just hurts the old wallet. And I know I'm a tightwad, but I can't help it, Marty. I just I just can't put the cash down. Even I, it would have to really knock my socks off for me to. So let me rent it, and then maybe I'll do it. I just can't imagine forking out that money, that amount, before it's even out for me to try. So while I was at Origins, I had a chance to try out a game from Split Second Games called Paradox. Now, this is one of those games I hadn't really seen a lot uh, or heard about a lot. And and the uh, person who showed me the game said, well, it's a space-themed game, which which I kind of like, with a bejeweled mechanic. What I'm referring to is, you know, Tony, that app, uh, Candy Crush or Bejeweled, that you play on your phone where you try to match pieces and, and get like four or five in a row and they did lines disappear? Yeah, I know exactly what, but it's frozen for me and don't judge me. <laughs> that's that's totally fine. But that whole mechanic of matching gems or pieces in order to eliminate lines inside the puzzle. So they've incorporated this into the game. And I thought, well, I'll let's see how this plays. So he was telling me about the game. I said, well, let's just play a couple rounds. And we started playing, and the idea is that the universe is being destroyed and uh, that you need to be able to uh, save the universe as, as it, different pieces of the, the cosmos are, are being blown up, and each turn something's going to basically blow up, and you're trying to keep it from happening. And the, and the way you do it is uh, you you have these resource cards that have so many colors that you need to in order to to put on the card in order to uh, get that card and put it into play it has some sort of engine building mechanic and from doing that you can also like protect uh planets from from being destroyed or whatnot but what's really cool is that the mechanic you do that with is this bejewel thing so it's like a lot of poker chips different color poker chips that you put into a grid and on your turn, you're, you're taking and physically swapping two pieces in order to match for the same color. If you do, you pull those pieces out and you can assign them to your card as resources to pay for things. And then everything from the top of the a grid shifts down and you draw more poker chips out of a bag and replace it. Okay, that sounds really cool. Dude, we played it and it was like, no, let's keep going. I played like half a game and I'm going... This is really kind of fun. It, if I thought, oh, this is going to be gimmicky, it wasn't gimmicky at all. And then you're sitting there, you're trying to plan your your current move and your future move, and there's a lot of thought. Really good. It's on Kickstarter right now. So if you think that sounds interesting to you, go check it out. It's Paradox from Split Second Games. Well, while you're out there on Kickstarter checking that out, okay, yes, guys, I'm ranting tonight, and I can't help it. But here, here's the thing. If you got a Kickstarter video, Instead of doing something stupid in it, use that time wisely to promote your game, to teach your game better. Why do I need to see 30 seconds of you guys ducking in and behind castles and doing funny voices or being attacked by ninja stars or anything like that? 
why don't you do a better job of explaining the game? I know it costs money to hire actors. I'm not saying that, Marty. I'm simply saying, use your time wisely. You've got a minute to grab me. And if you do something stupid in it, well, you probably got my attention because I'm going to look for something else stupid you're going to do. But why why do that, Marty? Why, I hope this guy uh, uh, did not do that for Paradox. I have not seen the the Paradox video yet. I don't know. But here's the thing. I know exactly what you're talking about. You'll go to a Kickstarter and you'll see a two, three minute video. It's like, all right, let's see what this game is about. And it ends up being like a skit and not telling you a lot about the game. And it's like, all right, you, I gave you two or three minutes of my time and you didn't sell me on the game. And some people say, well, scroll down. There's probably a gameplay video right there. Look, if I'm on Kickstarter going around, just looking at different things, I'm probably not going to be doing a lot of scrolling because I'm kind of in and out to a page. So like you said, Tony, you got a minute to grab me. Yeah. And I tell you what, I would love for somebody in our guild, and I know we've got some adventurers, if we could rank the dumbest Kickstarter videos and keep that going in a thread. I know that's mean, but hey, sometimes you just got to be blunt, all right, and hit people with a hammer. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Let's just get a lot of people on our bad side. Hey, this was the dumbest Kickstarter video I've ever seen. That's going to make friends. But it might because they'll get views. You know what they maybe need to do? Maybe if they shot their videos using selfie sticks. Ooh. Have that whole perspective. Okay, so here's the deal. So, Tony, I went to Origins, right? Yes. And and I was going to shoot some videos. Well, I was going by myself. And instead of holding my hand out there trying to uh, do these quick videos, yes, I went and purchased a selfie stick. And the selfie stick worked great for telescoping out and being able to pick up me and somebody else on on the camera. I mean, it worked great. And all I did was just get abused the entire weekend. I mean, I was doing this to try to make the best quality video I could. And all I did was take abuse. But that's okay. I mean, you were providing a service to the public. It's not like we see a lot of selfies of Marty out there, thank goodness, or me, because I have one too. But as you saw on my post, I was doing pictures with selfie in the picture. (laughs) <laughs> I did see that on Instagram. You were taking pictures of the selfie stick. <laughs> in at uh, Mendehall Glacier or wherever it was at that time. But no, there is a function for those things. But you, you face it, you're going to take abuse. It's kind of like coming up with something very fashionable to wear at a con, like a fishing vest or something, and putting that on to carry your other pieces. You may take abuse <laughs> for it, but it's functional. It works. Yeah, except, however... Um, the problem with that is, you know, Tony, let's, let's talk physics here. When you have when you have a long telescoping rod and you have the camera at one end and, the, you know, the fulcrum of this rod is basically in the palm of your hand, it takes very little movement to shake that camera <laughs> and thus you end up with the shaky cam. So I found out that's really not a good way to do it. If you're going to use this stick, you've really got to brace it or else it's just going to shake like crazy. So I'm probably going to have to ditch the stick for a better method in the uh, the future. Maybe somebody just helped me hold the camera uh, at Gen Con. So right now the um, selfie stick is is still in use, but it may have to it may have to retire for some more something that's a little more functional. I, I meant to ask you, did you put an epileptic, epileptic seizure notice on them? <laughs> I should I should had like in the old video games we used to play. I appreciate all the videos you did to share out with the listening audience, but I will say that guys, we got it good here. Yeah, yeah, yada, yada, yada. I went to Alaska, and I did find game stores in Alaska. Um, I went to, and I posted this on Instagram, Jerry's, uh, I believe it was Jerry's World and his books and games, and then Hearthstone Books and Games in Juneau in the Nugget Falls Mall. Now, 
the Hearthstone group, they actually have a meetup group that meets every first and third Sundays. And unfortunately, I wasn't there to play board games. But guys, let me tell you, they did a great job with what little selection they have. They don't have the foot traffic. So, you know, you would think with all the games like Paydirt and all the other ones, K9 and all these games about Alaska that, hey, maybe there'd be a bigger market. But no, there was like a little bookshelf that had a few games on it. And of course, you know, they actually had Magic Friday Nights, Marty. Really? Yeah. But, you know, nights there last forever uh, or days, actually. So, but that's okay. Um, They had that and then they did. She had Tragedy Looper. She had a lot of good games and she had some mediocre ones as well. But she, the girl who did this for Hearthstone had a really good selection on this very small because they just don't have the foot traffic and you don't when when it costs you oh you know a lot for food up there because everything is shipped in you know you got to look at that economies and once again i know i'm cheap but um that's just the way it is so but i was so surprised there were actual game stores and meetup groups in alaska so if you hear anybody's from our listening audience in alaska hey you know congrats that's awesome but guys here in the states we got it good. Yeah, but I was going to say it's probably the area is probably pretty sparse of people. The probably number of people per square mile is probably pretty small, right? So it'd be tough to support a really big game store. And it would be. And, but what, that's what I thought was so neat that Hearthstone did that, that they provided a not only a gaming library, a gaming selection, and the meetup group. So I just want to make you people. So if you ever complain about your gaming library and your gaming group, hey, go to Alaska. See if you come back home and want to play again. I was able to get my hands on an early copy of Krautwagen. This is a game designed by Matthias Kramer. The theme of the game is that it takes place in Germany in the late 1800s, right as the automobile is becoming more popular and a more common means of transportation. The whole goal of the game is that you're trying to manufacture cars and you're trying to make them as best as possible by putting the most advanced engines in them, the best bodies, and sell them to the public in order to make some good money or put them on a racetrack to race against each other. The cool thing about this game, which makes it somewhat unique, is its action selection. The action selection track is basically a square that's on the board where you put different action tiles around the board. There's not enough tiles to cover each of the spots in the action track, and what happens is for those open spots, each person takes one of their player discs and puts it at the end of the line. And what happens is the person that's at the end of the line leapfrogs over the other players, goes to the action disc that they want, takes that disc, puts their disc in place of that, takes that action, and puts that action at the head of the line. And we're talking actions that do different things during the game, such as you can hire workers or research, which means to get cards in your hand that give you special abilities or upgrade the car body so that you can make your car bodies look better and more expensive or upgrade your engines, which allow you to give more powerful engines. Or maybe it's to assign a buyer where the goal is you're trying to build a car to attract a certain type of buyer in the game. Or you might want to race. There's a little track on the board to where when a race happens, you move your car so many uh, spaces on the board depending on how uh, good your engine is. I like two main things about this game. The action selection, which I think is kind of cool with the leapfrogging and going ahead to what you want, leaving those behind you to possibly take multiple actions before you're at the end of the line again. And also like the buyer mechanic, when you're ready to put a car out to be sold, you put it out in the, in the marketplace to be bought and then you set the price on it. Well, if you see that there's a buyer that might want the best engine, if you put your 
a car out there too soon, somebody could put a car out there with the same or better engine than you and possibly undercut your price because when it goes to the buy phase, everybody's going to buy the cheapest thing possible. If you're looking for a light to medium Euro with this car theme, I think you should check it out. I'll admit, I forget rules. I just recently posted on our BGG how I even screwed up roll for the Galaxy because it was taught wrong to me and you never go back. And did you know in setup, Marty, you pull out two additional tiles? I didn't, I didn't realize that. Two additional tiles. Yeah, you know, you start with your home world. Yes. And then you pull out two additional tiles to go so you can start building a technology and a planet. Yeah. Well, see, I never went back and read setup. So I didn't know that. And Donna was reading the rules the other night. She goes, you've really screwed up again. I said, oh, thank you. But it made me start thinking about, are there games in your past as a kid or something that you've always played wrong, Monopoly always comes to mind, that maybe you would enjoy playing again? And for me, and when I was on Alaska with my in-laws, you know, that my, my mother-in-law loves Rummy Cube. Okay. I hate that game. <laughs> Okay. Hate it. So how do you really feel about I hate it? it? I'm sorry. I know hate's a strong word, but oh, I just, because they ignore some of the key rules. And I wonder if I would enjoy it. For instance, you know, you're supposed to have a two minute timer. Well, they don't use that and it takes forever. You talk about AP analysis. Oh my gosh. Um, that's just unreal. But would I enjoy the game? So I ask, you know, I, I, I think about that. And then about melding, bringing your tiles on the board, you always add after you meld. That's not how I read that rule, but that's how we've always played. And, uh, you know, it, uh, would you enjoy, would you enjoy Marty Monopoly if you played it by all the correct rules? I probably would enjoy it more than what my memories of it are mm-hmm. because it plays a lot faster when you play the correct rules. Right. So for the guys out there, I mean, is there a game out there that you played that you didn't ever play? I mean, I don't think I ever read the rules to Stratega. I wonder what that game's really about. So one of my prized possessions in my cube at work is my gaming calendar. This is a calendar that comes out from uh, Scott King every year. He's a photographer and he basically, well, he photographs board games. And from that, he develops these really nice calendars, well, with these really colorful pictures on the calendar, and also has the ability to uh, put in all these geeky dates uh, in the calendar, like Pi Day, and when Gen Con happens, and when Origins, and he fills up the calendar with a lot of things that we as gamers might be interested in. Well, each year, he runs a Kickstarter uh, where he sells these calendars. And his Kickstarter is going on right now. Now I've had their calendar for the past uh, two years and they look great. He sent me a sample of what this year's calendar is going to look like. And once again, it's gorgeous. He's got a lot of the games, hot games that came out last year to choose from. So what's really cool with this custom calendar is you have this huge selection of pictures that you include in your calendar. And when you order it, you can go in there and say, well, on January, I want this game for everyone, this game, etc." Plus you get to put in your custom dates. So if you want to include some dates like birthdays, anniversaries, or whatnot, you can include those in there too. Yeah, and Scott's not only a great photographer. I mean, he's an independent publisher. He's a podcaster. I mean, Scott's just uh, virtuoso over there. And the calendars do look incredible. But, and you know, it's never too early to start planning for your next year calendar. Uh, no, it's not. And even though it is June, hey, you know, 2016 is just around the corner. This first half of the year just flew by. Oh, he really did, man. I was like, it, boom. It's, I flipped my Scott King calendar over. I'm like, man, that's seven wonders. That's a gorgeous game. Oh, crap. It's June. 
<laughs> no, I know. But anyway, if you're interested in one of these calendars, they're high quality calendars. They're they're really thick paper. I, again, the art looks great. And your your choice in the Kickstarter is to either choose just the the standard calendar, which he picks what the order of the pictures are going to be, and it's it's a little bit cheaper, or do the custom calendar. Now, Scott has been so nice to offer us the ability to give away not only one of these calendars, but also one of the prints from uh, the calendar. Marty, how could they possibly get this calendar? Are, are we going to do something? Yes, let's do something. Here, here we go. If you're listening to this show right now, let's make this just really simple. If you would like to be entered for the opportunity to win one of Scott King's custom gaming calendars and or print, we'll give away two prizes, the print and the calendar. Here's what we need to do. Go to Twitter and and send us a tweet with hashtag RDTN calendar. If you're not on Twitter, go to Facebook. Post a message there with hashtag RDTN calendar. What? You're not on Facebook? You're not on Twitter? Well, then why don't you just go to our guild page and post in our guild uh, forums, RDTN calendar. Is that pretty simple? And if you want to, if you're on Instagram, you could even do it there too. And I promise you, I might see it. Just put me in the name. <laughs> I might see it. <laughs> okay. Let's say, let's say you're just not a social media person at all. You're not doing Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, and you don't even want to go out to BG because it's too confusing to use. Just drop us an email at roll dice, take names at gmail.com and make sure that, uh, when you, when you send it on Twitter or, uh, Facebook, I can see who people's names are and I can contact you in it if you win. Same way on um, the Guild. And then if you send us an email, obviously we have your email that way too. Then what we'll do after two weeks, this uh, contest is going to run through. I should have looked at the calendar before I did this. This contest is going to run through July 14th. And at that point, uh, we'll pick a name and give that uh, to pick two names, one for the print, one for the calendar, and we'll give that to Scott, and he can take care of you from there. And once again, all those standard restrictions apply, continental U.S., 48 states, all that good stuff. And that's just, you know, from the standpoint of um, the shipping and all. But good luck to everyone who's going to enter, and we uh, wish you the best of luck with that. Well, it could be Alaska if you were planning on going back. Maybe you could hand deliver it. I am done with Alaska. Be sure to be with us next time for further adventures of Rocky the Flying Squirrel. So while I was in Alaska trying to a avoid getting run over by a glacier, okay, that can't happen because they move really slow. Marty, you should have seen the bear scat I saw. Squirrel. It was, it was a juvenile bear, and if that's a juvenile, I don't want to be there when there's mom. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't want to be messing with it. Was it a, I assume it was a no. Bear. It was a it, it was a just a regular black bear. It's a black bear. Grizzly. No black, black bear. bear. It is the black bear. It, the 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 bear. And I was like the ranger said that. Do you know that on record, there have never been any bear attacks when there's four people in a group. <laughs> well, there's a there's some interesting trivia right there. Yeah, four people in a group. But so I, so we were only three hiking because Donna's dad wouldn't go, and I just reminded her mom. I said, you know. That's right. We may be attacked. But remember, you are safe as long as you're faster than the bat person in the back. I got this covered for me. So anyway, that was selfish of me, but that's okay. Brown lay down, black attack. Brown lay down, black attack. So you run at the bear. Brown lay down, black attack. I'm running regardless. Nope. Nope. Mm -mm. nope. Yeah, get rid Not of it. Not if it's brown. 
Okay. <laughs> and, and it didn't matter. My mother-in-law would always use the same joke. You know how you can tell if it's grizzly scat versus black bear scat? When she see people on the trail, they'd go, hell, grizzly scat has bear bells in it. Ho, 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 ho. I'm like, okay, whatever. What was this? Uh, what was this thing? Oh, you were, oh, sorry. See, Simon, <laughs> you were having a blast in Atlanta. It was unreal. I mean, hanging out with Eric Lang, a gay wire girl, Bebo, um, Rodney Smith. It was so funny. There's so many people are there for such a small convention of only three or 400 people. Wow. And, and see, that's awesome. And this was in the downtown Marriott in Atlanta, right? It was, and I wish it wasn't. Because that's the more expensive hotels. And it's just more expensive parking. I wish that uh, last year they had it kind of just right outside of downtown where it was a little bit cheaper and the parking was cheaper. I wish they'd go back out there again. Plus, that Marriott was packed with a bunch of different things going on. So while Cool Men You're Not Expo was going Going on, we also had two other big meetings or two expos. One was a meeting of chaplains, and the other was a DJ convention. <laughs> so there was a lot of interesting interactions going on between gamers, chaplains, and DJs. I, I thought maybe DJ chaplains would have been awesome too. <laughs> that would be DJ chaplain gamer. Yeah, you know, can really spin up some. Yeah, anyway. So you had a big. You got to play. Eric Lang's new game, The Others. Yes, I did. This is a game that's going to be uh, coming out on Kickstarter like in September. And this is designed by Eric Lang and published by Guillotine Games. And it is a one versus mini game, kind of like Descent or Mansions of Madness in a post-apocalyptic world where the seven deadly sins have manifested themselves. And one person is playing as one of those sins. And it just so happened that we were playing against Lust. And each one of the sins has a special ability that uh, when they're on the board, they, they do things against you. I'm with you. You with me? Right. I am with you. So, so you, I was going to say, can you pick all seven? That's kind of neat. Uh, if I can remember the movie Seven, uh, Greed, Lust. Okay, that's close enough. So, so, but was it fun? Gluttony. Gluttony, okay. It was a blast. It was, uh, um, so here's how the mechanics work. Actually, mechanically, it's really straightforward. If you've played the Descent, it's kind of somewhat like that. You're playing a character. During your turn, you can move and do something. You can take an action. Maybe you want to fight against a monster that's on the board. The setting is a city map where each of the tiles is a different type of building, a church, a store, um, etc., and, and streets, and you move between buildings and out onto the streets. And while doing that, you may have to try to put out fires, or there are tokens out there that will try to corrupt you because the, the uh, sins are trying to corrupt you. And the whole goal of the game is, is try to finish a scenario, and the scenario is story-based. The particular one we played had three parts. The first part, you had to, you had to execute something. Maybe go collect these pieces or items out in the streets. Then the story branched, and you pick one of two branches you wanted to do, and then they merge back to the final branch at the bottom, which was basically kill the, like, the main bad guy. Well, that makes a question jump in my head. I mean, limited play ability here because you know you're, you're having to deal with a story do i mean did he have like a book of 100 pages or something i'm trying to visualize this so there's a lot of different scenarios you can play through but then also mix each one of those scenarios with the seven deadly sins because each sin affects the game somewhat differently for example and i was playing this game with uh britney bow uh rodney myself so it was three against eric and we were playing um against lust 
and lusted. They again, this is cool, maybe or not. So guess what? There's these bunch of really great looking figures on the board. There's all these ghastly beasts that we're having to fight, and we have our little guys that all have like special abilities and whatnot. Maybe somebody is good at fighting. Somebody can move fast, etc. And with lust, what happens was if you were in the same room with somebody else at the end of your turn, something bad happened. So you never wanted to be with somebody. Mm, okay. And so, but each one of the sins affects the, the game uh, differently. And like I said, mechanically, it's like you've seen before. You, you go out, you move, and then for, uh, combat is done by dice. You roll dice. You try to get hits. Uh, the person maybe you're fighting uh, rolls dice, or if or somebody's attacking you, you roll. You try to block. You try to get shields to block. That part's pretty basic. So here's what makes this game unique. There is something on each player's card called a corruption track that runs from zero to seven. Everybody starts at zero. During your turn, you have the option, if you want to, to increase your corruption by one. Below each of the markers on the uh, corruption track ranging from uh, zero to seven, there's an ability underneath it. So maybe when you move from zero to one, you get one extra die to roll on your turn. When you move to two, maybe it's an automatic hit. But here's the cool thing. You get that one plus whatever's beneath it. So by the time you can move your corruption track up to seven, you would get all of those bonuses below. But obviously, you don't necessarily want to jump to the end of the corruption track because if that point, every during the game, there's mechanics that will make you corrupted. You remember I said like out in the streets mm-hmm. are these fires to put out. Well, there's all these, these tokens that you have to have a roll a test against and they may corrupt you or something you fight against may corrupt you. And if it does, it automatically moves up your corruption track. If you get to seven, you take damage after that. The damage is kind of cool too. When you take damage any time from other, some other means, you have to cover up one of those bonuses on the corruption track. Ooh. So once you start covering those up, you'll start losing those bonuses. When, when you decide yourself, I want to move up one on the corruption track, when any place has been damaged below, you don't get that bonus at that point. So it's managing the corruption track. You can't, if you get to four health, you're dead. If you do, that's kind of okay. You're supposed to die and you just roll a new character. Okay. Taking all that, it's like I said, it's very much kind of descentish. What's unique is the corruption. And that's what was really cool. Cause as we were playing, Eric was like, Hey, um, if you really want to do well against me, don't you want to take, take a corruption and, and you know, you're going to extra die if you take corruption. And so here's the thing. I was being firm. I was the righteous one trying to fight against the sin of lust. Rodney and Brittany are just taking corruption like crazy. Rodney's insane. Rodney didn't even need to be asked. It's like, yeah, I'm going to take corruption. I'm like, dude, he just couldn't resist. It was, it was pretty embarrassing. Well, you know, up in Canada, they have great pharmaceuticals. So he, I'm sure he figured he could get a good prescription or something to handle this, you know? That's true. Free health care, right? He says, hey, I'm sure I can get a drug for taking care of corruption. But it was yeah. so funny. It's like, yeah, I'll take a corruption. I'm like, what? But here's the thing. You have to. Eventually, it gets to the point you have to take corruption because that's how you mitigate the luck of the roll of the dice is through that corruption track. Having automatic hits or extra dice to roll is always good. What was funny before the game started, Eric had like for a couple days said, oh, you guys are going to cry. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you all. The whole goal of the game is is to get to this third scenario, complete it. If you do, you win. He's trying to kill off all the characters. There's like seven characters in the game. Or six, seven, I can't remember. So once you've exhausted or used all the characters in the game, game over. Okay. As long as you have another character you can bring in or resurrect to come in or go play, you're good. 
But once, once you, after that, you're done. So here we come. It was a very tense game. We get to the end of the game. There, there's, there's fires and corruption and these big demons all over the place. And we thought we just have one more shot maybe to try to win. And we convinced Brittany to on her turn, she had this character that could turn into a werewolf, which was kind of cool. She went to werewolf mode and she went up one on her corruption from like six to seven or five to six, got all these bonuses, had this big roll of die in her hand, rolled, got lucky with the roll and we killed him. There you go. It's a win. All that time, Eric was like, I'm going to drink your tears. Every time we died, he was acting like he was filling up a vial full of our tears. Okay. But it was in the end, he was actually, we were drinking his tears. So oh. uh, it, was, it was a really fun game. It was an intense game. It's one of those things that really came down to that final roll. If we had not succeeded that, that right there, we would have lost the game. This game, again, is going to be coming out. Cool Men You're Not. It's going to be a Kickstarter. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of miniatures. It's probably going to have a pretty average, typical Cool Men You're Not price point with a bunch of uh, Kickstarter exclusives and stuff. So if that sounds like a game you're interested in, you want to check it out. But you also mentioned, wasn't there something non-miniature that they're coming out with? Yep, there is a game called Grizzled. And actually, this isn't one of theirs. It's a game from France, and it's a co-op game. It, exists, it consists of just some cards and some tokens. The artist of this game was actually one of those that were killed in the terrorist attacks in Paris. Ooh, really? Okay. And, and when that happened, one of the people at Cool Men or Not knew that guy, and he said, you know what, it's kind of an homage to them. We want to take that game and uh, translate it to English and release it here in the U.S. So this coming Gen Con, they're going to release this, and it's like a $20 game. And again, it's a co-op game. It's a World War One-themed game where you're kind of doing set collection. Everybody, there's two, there's two decks of cards. Everybody's dealt cards from one deck, and the goal is to play a card on the table and get rid of all the cards in your hand. The only stipulation is, is each card has a weather pattern on it, rain, snow, clear sky, plus an icon. So when you lay down a card, you can lay down uh, uh, cards that match other icons or environments, but if there's ever three of the same one, you'll lose the quest. And when, when you lose the quest, whatever cards you have left in your hand are drawn from another pile and put into the one that you're trying to get rid of. If the one that's replenishing ever runs out, you lose. If you ever get rid of all the cards in the deck you're drawing from, you win. And that's the whole mechanic of the game. And there's some other little things going on. For $20, it's, it's a nice little game. And, and the art is really cool on it. So there's you a non, there's a, it's cool mini or not. There's the or not part of a game. And it's co-op and it's card drafting, right? It's not card drafting. Not card, I'm it's sorry. It's not card drafting. It's just okay. you're dealt cards and you play cards uh, from your hand. Okay, so once again, it's co-op and it's cards. That's right up my alley and it's cheap. Okay, I'm liking that right there. Yeah, it's one of those I think you'll like. So again, I think the goal was Gen Con, and it's called Grizzled. Now, uh, I don't want to go all over your adventures down at Cool Mini or not, but I did. Was there anything else? I mean, people can go out and check out your video because you shot a great video down there. Was there anything that you left out of the video that you want to cover here? Because, you know, I'm all ears, dude, because that was that looked like oh, such a good con. The highlight of the game uh, con by far was Blood Rage. Another game from... Um, Eric Lang, this has already been on Kickstarter, and um, it's supposed to come out this fall. This is the Viking theme game, where, and this is what's interesting about this. I was worried this is an area control game. Some people have even said it kind of reminds them of Small World. Well, if people have ever listened to the show before, I'm not a huge fan of Small World. No. So I was kind of worried about this, but this game 
is so much fun. And one of the fun things I like about it is it has a drafting mechanic like Seven Wonders. There you go. Yeah, so you pick an army. And you you put you can deploy you have a, a board and you can deploy your uh, units uh, to the board and the goal is to try to pillage different areas and by do you can increase some of, of your stats but at the beginning of every round everybody's dealt eight cards and you take one and you pass to your left mm-hmm. you keep going until you have six cards in your hands what do these cards consist of one are battle cards so that when you go into battle it's like it's whatever the strength of my units is plus this amount of strength. Another thing are quest cards. During each round, you can have a quest that if you fulfill, you get glory points. Glory is like victory points. Another one is upgrades. So you have several types. You have units, regular plain old units, and a leader. And you can upgrade those guys and make them beefier, make them better, make your cheaper to deploy. Or you can bring in a monster's. So there's like these sea monsters and stuff. You play a card, you actually get to control of that figure. And these are really nice figures again that you can um, also use. So during the course of the game, you're trying to upgrade your units. You're trying to take over different places of the board. You get into these battles. But what's cool is when you win a battle, um, you get to pillage or you get to defend that, that certain area. If you lose, you're sent to Valhalla. At the end of the round, for every unit you have in Valhalla, you get victory points. So death isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's just that you would have to redeploy those guys the next round. And again, Eric comes up with these really cool mechanics for resource management, and this one is called Rage. Um, at the beginning of your turn, uh, there's uh, one of the things you can upgrade is your, is, your, is your Rage amount at the beginning of each round, and you start with like six. And every action has a rage cost. To deploy, it costs so much rage, etc. What's really nice is on the player card, all the actions are listed at the bottom. They specifically tell you what each action is and how much it costs. What's unique is there are some actions that are free. Don't cost you a thing unless you have zero rage. So you can't spend all your rage and then start taking the free actions. You need to use your free actions while you still have rage left. And that sounds like, okay, what's the big deal about that? But as you're playing the game, one of the free actions is to pillage. And to pillage is if you pillage an area, you get to bump up one of your stats. One of the stats gives you more rage. One of them allows you to deploy, to, to deploy more units to the to the map and another is for every battle you win you get x amount of glory points you get to increase those stats so pillaging is free unless you don't have any rage points left so it's just these really kind of unique mechanics that that make you think and when you go into battles people can come in and fight against you and stuff but what's cool is there are some cards it's like you want to lose Mm -hmm. one of the strategies that just kicked our butt that Brittany did she had a card called loki that said, if I lose this battle, I get two of your glory. Another unique mechanic is, is when you just de- de- uh, deploy, you put all your units out there and you compare strengths and then each of you show a card. Whoever wins discards their card. The other person gets to keep it. Ooh. So what she was doing is she would play that card every time and make sure to lose the battle. She never got that card out of her hand. So we didn't do a good job of forcing her into a losing situation to where she had to give up that card or we didn't deny it to her in the drafting. Okay. So the drafting mechanic is very Eurowish. The way you upgrade your guys is kind of Eurowish. The the area control stuff is is kind of a trashes. The fighting is really straightforward. It's very thematic. Um, also, at the end of each round, one of the provinces are destroyed where you can't use it anymore. So the map gets smaller and smaller, causing more conflict. 
And by the end of the game, it's a small map and you're just fighting to the death. And then whoever has the most glory at the end wins. The best game I played all weekend. I am so glad I blacked back that game. That's one of those games to where when I was done, I could not wait to play again and I still can't. And when will you get this fabulous game? It's supposed to be in September. All right. Well, I look forward to coming over in September at the end of the month so we can play. Yep. It's supposed to uh, be out then. And then uh, they also announced some other games. Arcadia Quest Inferno is coming out, which is a standalone expansion Arcadia Quest. I got lucky and actually won a free game while I was there from a drawing and I could pick any game I want. I picked up Arcadia Quest, brought it home. We're painting the figures. We're playing, uh, me and my sons are playing through a campaign right now. Fun, fun, fun game. Arcadia Quest is, if you haven't tried that game, everybody that's ever played it tends to enjoy it. So I highly recommend trying that. I did enjoy Arcadia Quest when we played it at BGG. That's exciting news. Yes. So I have it. You, you can play it. Oh man. That is a fun game. It, it is. And the campaign mode is so great because now you get to get rewards at the end that you carry on throughout the story. So you make your guys better and better. And I, I would like to give a, a, a huge uh, shout out to uh, Pete Shirey. Um, I met him at, uh, I met him last year at uh, Cool Mini or Not. And he's just one of these great guys I got to game with again at this expo and and uh, just, the, just the nicest guy in the world. And even in Origins, uh, he was there and he was like the rep for Asmodee. So he was, um, he was like teaching the games uh, or whatnot in their area. And he was one that came on. If you go watch our video on YouTube, he's the one that did the interview with me at, um, for the Asmodee games. Great guy. I played Nations of the Dice game once at Origins. I said, I got to get this. And he said, uh, I think we're about out of it. And I went, oh, man. He said, wait a minute. And he went and pulled me back one to hold so until I could come get it. So I, I really appreciate him doing that. Just a just a great guy and it was fun playing with him there. Cool Me or Not Expo. If you have a chance to go, it's a small gun. It's a lot of fun. I got to play many other games. I got to play Dark Moon, which I thought was okay. It's like Battlestar Galactica Light. It's one of those games that once I was done, I thought, okay, it's a it's a it's a decent game. I need to play it again. It's one of those things I don't think I'll like it any less. But I think I need to play it again to like it more, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it didn't. It didn't blow me away, but it was like it. It was. It was somewhat fun. Oh, I got to tell this anecdote. So we decided to play Spyfall. Mm-hmm. There were eight of us playing Spyfall earlier in the day. Pete came up to me and said, "Okay, we want to play a trick on Rodney. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a couple games of Spyfall. In the second game of Spyfall, everybody at the table gets a spy card. But the only person that doesn't know this is Rodney." Here we are, everybody has a spy card, and everybody is asking the most bizarre questions. Like the first question I was asked is, how much milk would you bring to this place? And I said, oh, you know, at least half a gallon. And then I looked at somebody and I said, so uh, do you like Judy Garland movies? And they went, oh, yeah. Somebody else said, how, like, how long can you hold your breath underwater? How many steps to the top of this place? I mean, it was getting really bizarre some of the questions and Rodney the look on his face was like I have no clue what's going on he had everybody was just asking this random stuff and it was the funniest thing it was so hard to keep from not from laughing Mm -hmm. so after we start asking all these really bizarre questions like I asked this one guy so I just like look at him and said jalapeno chipotle or black 
Brian's like, what? So at the end, he was like, he was starting to run out of time. He said, all right, I'm the spy. Are you at the casino? And we went, nope. He said, where are you guys? And we all flipped over our card and showed it was spy. The look on his face was classic. We got him so good. So there you go. There's a trick you could play on somebody. Play spy fall, but load everybody up with a, with a spy card and tell everybody but one person. And it is a blast. There's a variant to Spyfall, that very hot game that's coming out. I'm glad you got to enjoy it again this year. So hopefully you'll be able to go back next year. That sounds great. And like, I mean, previous year you had a great time. And hopefully you can go next year since it's so close. It'd be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. We'll put it it on the wish list. How about that? (laughs) It's a trip to Atlanta. You can make a business trip out of it, too, and just stay the weekend. There we go. I'll, I'll make that happen. So one of the games I've really enjoyed over the past several years, but yet have trouble getting to the table is a game, Terra Mystica from Z-Man Games. First time I played this game a couple years ago, I just really liked it, but yet I never could get at the table. And Tony, you've never played before, but at our last gaming event, got you over here and we finally got the game to the table. Yeah, and I think a lot of that came from the fact, Marty, that I was um, a little bit concerned about teaching it. The game looks you know, fairly complex. Are you going to be able to get the rules? But man... I was dead wrong. That game is cake to pick up. I was, that, it, it was. You think so? Yes. I was. I mean, you and I were not known for our rule explanation, but even I think I could get these down. <laughs> well, no, I guess, it, I guess it's straightforward. I think there's some odd mechanics into it. So this is a Euro game. If you haven't seen it, plays two to five players, take about 30 minutes per player. And this has a map with these different types of terrain on it. And then there's all these different uh, factions you can be. And each one is totally unique. And all of them, to build their buildings on the map, the whole idea is to build up a little civilization. Mm-hmm. But to do so, you have to build it on your home terrain. And it's it's a it's a random set of terrain tiles on the space. And if a terrain tile does not match yours, you have to spend what they call spades in order to start converting that terrain to what you need it to be. And you have a terrain wheel that shows you how many steps it goes through to get to your terrain. So, you know, you, you deploy buildings. So you're putting out there, you're putting out dwellings. And from dwellings, you can upgrade to trading houses. And from trading houses, you can upgrade to temples. And, from, and you can go to strongholds. There's these different buildings you put in, and each of them give you different things. But you, with all that, you thought that was pretty straightforward? Yeah, I did. I mean, so I got to terraform some land so I can put a building up there. And, and if on my player board, this arrow means I need to do this, this, this. And once I do that, if I spin that building, then I, I knock down. And the people are easy to manage. Probably the hardest thing to explain was the, oh, I'd say praying to the gods tracks over there that you know for dedication that took me a little bit to understand on what that meant on when you'd get those bonuses but after the first time we did it i was like bam and then i was like oh okay that's pretty simple and i understood the terraforming and how i needed to get there and and the neatest mechanic for me i think marty and i'm just going to call them the power pills because i don't (laughs) have the rules in front of me was the moving of the um special ability counters and what's what's do you remember what the term is here I, i know you've played it i just couldn't remember Oh, it's just the power action. So in each, each, each person's board, they have these little purple discs and uh, you have these three bowls that they move between and you can uh, take, uh, there's, there's certain actions. If you build certain buildings and whatnot, like the trading houses, if you have those out on the, on the uh, board and what's really cool is, is when you remove a building from your board underneath it, it shows you what you get for having that built. Mm-hmm. So like having dwellings out there gets you additional workers and those workers are spent to, to do things for you. If you have a trading house, you get gold and that power, which I talked about. And then uh, there's another one. If you uh, 
build the um, the temples, then you can have uh, the, the priests come up there. If, if you have those out there, you get a priest every turn. And and so that's that's really straightforward. But the power thing you're talking about is when you gain a power, you shift in one of those tokens from your lowest number bold to the one above it. The whole goal is to move your your tokens from bowl one to bowl two, bowl two to bowl three. And once they're in bowl three, there's these actions that can be taken that's on the on the player board, like get some extra spades, get some money, get an extra worker, get a priest. And when you spend that, there's a certain cost to it. You just move it from bowl three to bowl one. And again, you thought that mechanic was pretty straightforward? Once I understood what you meant by moving, yeah, I mean, it was pretty simple. You needed to increase your power here, and then two to three. This isn't hard. Oh, I need to spend them. Now they go back three to one. Oh, and if I want to, I can destroy one power. And I, yeah, no, I found that very simple. I even like the the part about, you know, we associate it to Puerto Rico, about when you pass on your turn, you pick an action to hold. That was very, impo- you know, important. And I understood your point about the Fire and Ice expansion and putting the sequence of turns changes versus I could see where – not having that where if the first person in the past becomes the first player the next round and then so forth and so on. I can see where if it just moves clockwise, that would really kill that game or hurt that game. I don't know what the old way is. So definitely the fire and ice, I think just for the sequencing of it is a, is a big plus just, just for my experience. Yeah. So I played it once, but I could just see where that would, you know, hamper the game. To me, I think the thing, the hardest thing about this game is, is there's so many way to get, so many ways to get victory points. Uh, I mean, you can do the all over your board. There's ways to do it. Like you can, it costs uh, workers to get spades that, or in order to transform uh, terrain, but you can make those spades cheaper by upgrading them. And there's a certain cost to that. But by upgrading, you typically get victory points. You can have shipping. Uh, you can do shipping to where there's water all over the board, and you have to have the right range of shipping lanes in order to. To you usually have to build right beside another one of your buildings, and if you got to tra- traverse water, you either need to build a bridge or make sure your shipping length is is high enough to where you could jump across and build. Upgrading that shipping gives you points. There's it, there's multiple ways to do it. I mean, building towns if you have four buildings together that's worth seven points or more and each building is worth a certain amount of points you get points so i think to me that's where i have trouble with this game is i like the game but i stink at it actually i don't know if you stink at it because i think you're being nice to me and let me win oh you just had to throw that in there didn't you your first time playing but i think it was because the the guy i got well, you know, you pick two and then pick one from there was real simple. You spades. You're talking about the factions? Yeah, the factions. Yeah, use spades to get victory points. Oh, that isn't hard. Just upgrade my spades and I can get these and these. But no, I, I, I understand your point about, you know, it's, it's how to get the victory points. And I think that's where your thought process has to go in. But the best part of this whole game in that game night was when Vanessa stole the money from you. That was awesome. You had it all planned out. And she goes, you know, I think I'm going to pass and I'm going to take the one that gives you seven coins at the beginning or whatever it was. And, and it just, no, 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 that wasn't it. That wasn't it. That wasn't it. No, I I know exactly what it was. It was that, you know, those actions I talked about, the power actions Uh where you could spend power. 
one of you gave them, one of them gave you a lot of money and I needed it to pull off what I need to do. And she went right before me and, and she took all the money. The cultist track that you mentioned is kind of odd. Some people say they feel that's kind of an add on. Why is it even there? It is kind of weird. There's this sideboard uh, to where if you deploy priests to that board, you can move uh, your, your tokens up a cultist track. And as you move up, it gives you bonuses like being able to gain power. And the goal is if you can get to the very top. Well, the whole thing is, again, it's about victory points. At the end of the game, if you're there's four tracks, the first place person on each track gets X amount of points. The second place gets another, gets less. and Well, it gets eight. The second place gets four. And the third place gets two. So you do have to go up that track. It, some people say it feels like an add-on thing. I guess I can kind of see that. It seems like it is just another way to generate victory points. But, again, it's just one, more, one of those things you have to manage. And to me, the game plays in six rounds. And it seems like that's not enough rounds. And maybe that's I obviously it's designed that way, but it feels like finally when I can start getting my priests coming in each round and money coming in each round, it's round five. So you really got to be efficient on that and understand how you're going to do that. So, so the game, even though it's simple, to, in my opinion, my humble opinion, it's simple to learn. It is going to give you some challenges to figure out how to get your victory points. I agree with you there. And it all really depends on your faction because every faction plays so differently mm-hmm. that each faction can have its own strategy. And I know there are strategies out there. There say there are some factions that are considered OP. I have not read which one is considered that. I have my opinions on which one because um, of just the way I've seen some stuff played. But each one does play different enough to where each game can be different just by picking a different faction. You mentioned the expansion. The expansion adds some really wild factions in there where you have to spend cultist points to transform or you have to spend power get rid of power in order to transform areas so that adds a whole new mechanic if you're going to play the game here's my recommendation you play the base game with the expansions but not with the factions that come in the expansions because like you said tony the first part in their base game first player is the first person to pass is first player then it goes clockwise with the expansion and you can do this with the base game you don't really need the expansion to do this you do it in player order first person to pass goes first next round second goes second etc um, if you play with the base i recommend that variant uh, don't play the base game with uh, determining first player do it that way it's better like I said, that, that, I think that did make an interesting and added strategy to the game. So if on the RO scale for me, um, because of the mechanisms, the, the victory points, the worker placement aspect of it, I had to get worker placement in there. Oh I know it's gosh. not worker placement. I know I would have to. Well, it's kind of worker placement. The buildings are worker. Oh, here we go. Okay, here never mind. Go. Never mind. For me, I, I think it is a, a great game. I would always play this if you were to get it out just to experience the various factions. For me, it was it's a buy. It's a it's a a, a must buy. It's one of those that has a lot of different mechanics to it. It's even though it has the map, it's not area control because once you take over an area, nobody can take it from you. Again, to me, it's the strategy is hard to figure out. There's so many ways to get victory points. You really got to decide early on with the faction you have what's the best way to get those victory points, and and try to stick to it. So hopefully. You can come and and play again, maybe try one of the harder factions. Or if you want to, you can borrow it and think this is one of those that you could actually teach your family to play. No, never. Not a chance. Okay. (laughs) 
It's like, oh, it's a great game. I'll play it if it comes to the table. It just won't come to my table at my house. There's no way that the, the little purple pills, I almost said blue pills, people, the little purple pills, that would blow their minds. Boom. Terra Mystica. Again, older game. One of those I still like to this day. The expansion adds a lot to it. It's a buy for me. Great game for Tony. If you haven't had a chance to play it yet, definitely do go try to get it to the table because I think it's a fun game. Well, back in the saddle, and it, it was a little rough, Marty, uh, but we're known for that. Oh, that would have been a good title, Back in the Saddle. We've used it before. Oh, is that what you did last year? Yeah, that's what I did last year when I went on vacation last year. So, But I did want to mention one thing that is not board game related that you and your family did, but I do want to just think about how it's grown. And over Father's Day weekend in Charlotte, North Carolina, there is a Heroes Convention. This started many, 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 many years ago. Marty and I went to it before. Matter of fact, when Marty and I did our first one, I remember I bought like a little paper ticket and went, or you just went and they stamped your hand. Mm -hmm. But Heroes Convention, Marty, did you see how many people showed up for this thing? You know, I never saw a number. I went on Sunday, which is the less crowded day. My family went on Saturday. I was like, a cool man or not, and they went. But no, what's, what's the number? 35,000. No way. They reported 35,000. Is that unique or is that turnstile? Do you know? I think it was turnstile. Okay. Stan Lee showed up. I know your family got autographs. Uh, they did, and I was so bummed about that. So I'd already planned on going to Cool Mini or not. But oh, about a week and a half before, it was announced that Stan Lee was going to be coming to the show because he was in Atlanta shooting his cameo for the next Captain America movie, Civil War. Mm -hmm. So he came up here, and my whole family got a picture with Stan Lee, and I'm I'm just so jealous. Yeah, I mean, he spent five hours signing autographs. The man's ninety two years old. Hey, guys, that's fan dedication there. Uh, Vanessa and the whole family said he was just as spry as could be. He came out just waving his hands and was and was uh, happy and and had a spring in his step. And, and like you said, went there for hours signing his name and sitting in there taking him pictures. And in fact, they had sold out. They had, they had gone through all the pre-orders for getting the autographs and, and uh, the pictures taken. Uh, Vanessa said they came over the intercom and said, all right, uh, he's going to hang around a little bit longer if you guys want to come come on we'll sign some more stuff that's great that he would do that and that's just you know that is really neat but the convention like i said it has grown tremendously it's a little store here in charlotte and every year he has held this thing to the point now where he, he started out in the ballroom i think at a holiday inn and he had like 400 people show up mm -hmm. and it is gone and you and i went when they when we uh when oh what game did we sign up for and didn't get to play in the convention because nobody else showed up for world of warcraft world of warcraft but it, it, it's a neat convention so if you happen to uh it's not san diego comic-con but hey you know, Charlotte's not a bad place to visit in June when it's 98 degrees and humidity is 75%. Yeah, this is at the Charlotte Convention Center now. And it's funny, if you go and look up top comic book conventions across the U.S., Heroes Con shows up in the top 10 in every single list. Oh, yeah. We get big name artists and uh, comic book authors coming here, writers. Uh, seriously, if you have the opportunity, you check it out. Well, it's all about comics. Yeah. That's it. There's no gaming. It's, it's strictly comic and comic paraphernalia. If you're into comics, I highly I highly recommend it. Tony, you need to go sometime. It's, it's fun. It's fun just to go around and walk, except you'll get swept up in it and want to buy things. Well, I went over there. I did walk over there Friday when they were um, starting it up and I was going to go into the vendor hall and you couldn't get past the front door without an armband. 
Okay. And I looked and they were the line wrapped down the convention back on itself towards the doors. And it was a two hour wait to get your ticket. So definitely it is a pre-buy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We did. We did a pre-buy. And again, Sunday was kind of a down day and you could walk around and get some deals. But here's the thing. You need to get your Spider-Man 300 graded. You ruined it for me. It's signed by McFarlane. Wow. Is it authenticated? I don't know. So here's the deal. We can talk offline, but I was sitting there thinking because that thing is a lot of money right now. And there's a way you can get it authenticated, even the autograph. Will they authenticate the autograph? And then put a put a uh, and value it for you. Yeah, I think it'd be worth doing. And that's the thing is is looking at all these comics like, oh, I got that, I got that. Like Spawn One. I hope you still got your Spawn One. I think I kept my Spawns and my all my Spider Mans. The, uh, the one I went looking for because Rebecca wanted to read them was the Infinity Gauntlet series. Mm-hmm. I got rid of that. I sold that. Uh, so if you want it, we bought the uh, graphic novel. Ooh. If you want to borrow it. Yeah, I do. I do want to borrow it. Because I got it for my whole family to read. Okay. Yeah. Um, that would be awesome. So yeah. Here is Con. Maybe next year if Cool Mini doesn't set it up at the same time. Because you got to select, man. You got you to pick and choose here. <gasps> well, here's my fear. Usually Heroes Con is on Father's Day weekend. Next year, Origins is on Father's Day weekend. Oh, yeah. That's tough. You know how I found that out? How? From Scott King's 2016 gaming calendar. Awesome. Nice tie back. And with that, keep rolling dice and taking names. Thanks for listening to RDTN. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names. Visit our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Roll Dice Take Names. Visit our BGG Guild. Like us on Facebook. August, thick as peanut butter. You mean pea soup. You eat what you like, or I'll eat what I like. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find the Game Crafter Official Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to the tabletop game print-on-demand company, The Game Crafter, and its growing community. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.